Good day, listeners. Welcome to today's second episode of season two of Say Word and my first episode. Man, it feels good to be back. And as always, Say Word is a podcast that we started. As usual, the goal is to inform and add a touch of humor where appropriate to events happening not only in Toronto, but in our world that our listeners can connect with. And we started this podcast, remember, to give thoughtful and purposeful perspectives. Toronto is home to us all, hence the name. And we want to leave you with content that is a good use of your time. I am your host for today's episode, Ahmed, a.k.a. the Master Procrastinator. Prepped all morning just for today's episode. And helping me make today's episode a success are five brothers. We got my boy, Hirsch, a.k.a. Never a Day Late Canceling a Free Child. I hear that. We got Larone, a.k.a. Central Castries, very own and very finest. We got Khalaf, a.k.a. Big Cali. We got Hassan, a.k.a. Shazam. And we got Batter, who's never needed a second trip to carry the groceries. What a legend. Man, it feels good to be back to recording. How did you all feel last episode? Were, were you all rusty? Because I know it's been a while for us. Yeah, it took some time to... To get back into it, but I think we all had fun recording the last episode, and we're looking forward to season two. I will say I gotta up my nickname game because every time I hear batters, it's killing me, man. Got it. Batters coming from experience. Batter, talk us through your brainstorming when you're picking out your nickname. Uh, I just have to cement my role as the resident dad. I gotta bring the dad jokes. I'm trying to make it my homework. man. <laughs> <laughs> You guys are old as hell, man. <laughs> Yo, this is I don't know how old you guys are, but whoever doubts it, there's a day you'll reach, you'll wake up, and you'll feel it, and you'll know what we're talking about. You know? This is that, this, yeah. this, that, this, that cloth talk, that 30-plus talk, man. That 30-plus yeah. cloth talk, I'm telling you, man. This, things yeah. don't work the same way on the other side of it. I, I don't feel get like if you don't real. maintain, if you don't like maintain like, yeah. like a certain standard of like, all right, you're like going in, okay, like, exactly yeah, maintaining your body, the word then, right you know, yeah. then you know you slipped. Like, you yeah. know, you yeah. slipped and on top of that, real stuff came in the way, then you're like way down the slope. Like, you, it's, it's harder to come back up. I think that's what you guys are like referring to. Gentlemen, we'll, we'll, we'll get straight into to, to our fun topics. And the first one was random to say the least, but I think it's something that's worth speaking to. Now, living in Toronto, panhandlers aren't people who are foreign to us. In fact, they're a staple to our city. Now, you know, me bringing this up, the goal here isn't to demonize or to poke fun at them at all. And because for many of them, there's really no alternative, which you know we're all mindful of and we're all sensitive to. And I'm sure all of us at some point have tried to do our part in helping them. However, I'm sure all of us have had experiences with them, interesting experiences with them. And I think there's no shortage of examples where people are the aggressor in run-ins with panhandlers. But what about the vice versa? Hassan, I, I'm going to point to you because I feel like your TTC stories, when we spoke about this episodes back, you've always had uh, an interesting perspective. So you have any funny stories that you, you want to share with panhandlers specifically where they've gotten aggressive with you or, or anything like that yeah i remember the specific one uh it was a couple of years ago around uh, uh around eglinton station and if you know uh the current conditions or even a couple of years ago what eglinton station was like you know that it's constant construction nothing's really changed on that front it's, it's still ongoing 
one time I was coming from work, I needed to get to Eglinton Station to get home. And uh, there was this individual on a wheelchair, like aggressively just hold my arm. And I guess I didn't notice him at first. And I looked back and he had like a cup out, obviously like asking me to like, you know, give him some money, anything that I could spare. And I just thought I was like, no, nah, I'm just going to walk away. I don't know. I get uncomfortable sometimes in those situations. So I was going to, uh, I tried to like walk away. He grabbed my sleeve again and he like pulled it with, at that point I felt bad. I was like, all right, cool. I, I gave him a toonie and then I walked off. I get a call a week later from one of my coworkers and it's like, you remember that dude that was like pulling at you the week before, you know, trying to force you to give him like any kind of money. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's like, I just saw him with a bag of groceries running across the street near Eglinton wow. Station. I was okay. so upset. Amazing I needed, I needed that toonie too. I was so upset. I think for like six months, I didn't give anybody any money on the street. I don't care how bad off they looked just because of that experience. Then I felt bad again. I went back to giving money. I mean, yeah. yeah, that's a. I would be traumatized from that too, especially the fact that he wasn't even paraplegic. Like he didn't need the wheelchair. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was gonna say. The wheelchair oh, thing threw me off completely. Like, how, your friend is one thousand percent sure it's the same person. He was one hundred and ten percent sure it's the same person. Yeah, I never felt so finessed in my life. I have a story. Please hurry. Uh, well, I'll start off by saying I don't want to be insensitive to people who are down on their luck. I feel like we're only one misfortune away from being at risk like that. That being said, some people are way out of line, and I'd be dishonest if I said every encounter was a respectful exchange of pleasantries, right? I will say I think I've avoided a lot of aggression being a taller black guy. Like, there's times where aggressive panhandlers, I'm sure you guys, like, see in the subway. They come in the subway cart, and they ask everybody to square up if they don't have change. But I always found that they skip me for some reason. Like, I like to think because I have, like, positive, <laughs> good energy, you know, but it's due to stereotype. Let's just be honest. Ironically is, enough, about mm -hmm. my potential aggression as a black man. But um, that's the sidebar. Uh, when this topic comes to mind, there is one story in particular that sticks out. So it was a warm spring day. I'm in a new job. Everything's going well. Obviously, the TTC came in and ruined that. There was a closure that meant I had to walk, like, half an hour to catch the train north. And as I'm approaching Spadina and Bloor, where the station is, a voice calls out and I see a panhandler demanding a toonie from me, like demanding, not even asking. He's like, give me a toonie. I was like, that's Damn. the second, that's the second toonie like, story. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. There's a, there's, there's a I'm here. telling you, the price went up um, because we're in a cashless society now, like we're moving towards that. I just don't carry around money like that. So, you know, Apple Pay and my cards and all that hold me down. So unfortunately for him, I didn't have any cash. So I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't know why this dude felt so entitled. I was walking by him and I just hear like a murmur, but I heard it clear as day. And he called me a nigga. Yeah, that escalated fast. Yeah. So I, I turned wow. around and I'm like, what did you say? And, and this is as a crowd is starting to form, right? He doesn't want to repeat it because he wants to ask other people for money. So he says like, I, you heard what I said. You heard what I said. Upon hearing that, I was suspended in time. 
so many like, directions it could go in. So many so directions it can go in, right? So I'm I'm trying to like think through like my options, and I'm blank because I just I've never seen anything like this. On one level, I respect the man's dedication to racism because like look how down he is. And he's still racing, <laughs> you know. But I have to, I have to G check you on this. So I approached the tent. He thought that I was gonna fight him, but I wasn't gonna fight him. There's no need for that. There's no. It just optics-wise, it looks bad for me. So I just lean down into the tent, and I'm just like, if you don't stop talking shit, I'm gonna raise your property tax. Now, why would you say that? That's what came to me at the time. <laughs> I didn't have any anything else in my Rolodex. I'm sure you guys don't have like a cute response for uh, for a of homeless guy calling you the N word, right? So, for context, is this beside like the station? This is like right beside uh, Spadina Station. Where is yeah, happening? yeah, right beside this. But that's where all special things happen, you know. He was so like he was parked up in a tent right beside the station. I can't believe this guy said that to me, you know. What a 180. You ask me for money, I don't have money, and then you're going to throw out a racial slur, you know? I was expecting uh, a 180. Like, when he asked for the toonie and you didn't have a toonie, I thought he would pull out, like, a square from his pocket and ask for, like, debit or a debit donation. But I, I thought end, he was going to throw something at you, like, get your suit messed up. That's, what, that, yeah. that's where I thought it was going the whole time. Like, this guy's going to be upset. He'll grab exactly. a bucket of water and throw it at you or something. I was like, man, that's really going to be worse. <laughs> Yeah, so many other angles, right? So many other yeah. angles the story could have gone. Even when you were saying, like, um, oh, I respect his dedication to racism while being, like, so down on his luck. Kind of reminded me of a joke that I saw on, on Twitter of somebody saying, like, Gandhi's dedication to anti-black racism is crazy because he's being racist on, on, on empty stomach. <laughs> I remember that too. I remember that. First of all, I just wanted to say the whole Toonie thing is kind of interesting. I just noticed that both these guys asked for a Toonie, which I find kind of awkward. Um, I found recently, like, the ones that always get me are, they ask for odd numbers and change. Like, I've had somebody say, like, oh, I need 97 cents. And I'm like, I would never have 97 cents anyways. Do you know what I mean? I found that always pretty odd. Or the other thing I've seen other people do, too, is I offer to, like, buy somebody food because they're not sure what they're going to do with the money. And they don't want the person to take the money and go buy, like, some illicit whatever substance or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, that's just, yeah, that's my, I've seen that happen, too, which is. I've seen somebody who's panhandling be very nice on the bus and like help a woman with like a stroller off the bus and like everybody else. That makes everybody else look weird too. But yeah, I yeah. usually I usually make sure that I know what I'm gonna give somebody before I give them. I usually don't like pull up my whole wallet or I don't recommend anybody do that anyway. Absolutely, yeah. That's an approach that I've taken to in the past is just uh, buying them food versus giving them actual actual money and then I've run into instances where I was in part of this volunteer program and we were handing out care packs. And then we were, I handed it out to this one, one panhandler. And then he was like very insistent on getting change from us. He didn't want anything to do with the, the care pack. So. Right. Yeah. And you, and you don't know what he's going to do with that. A hilarious story. I'm at the Spadina streetcar stop at uh, Spadina in college. Okay. It's pouring rain. I'm waiting for the streetcar and a guy comes out to me. He was obviously both homeless and obviously high. No shoes on and he's shaking it. And the man goes, yo, can I get some change? And I said, no, only change I have is for the streetcar. I need to get on the streetcar. He literally looks me dead in my eye and says, how far are you going? I'm like, what do you mean how far am I going? Can you walk it? I'm like, can I walk it? 
<laughs> what are you trying? <laughs> the man's tell, trying to negotiate whether or not I can walk it or not. Like, and he's like, no, oh, you can make it. You can make it. And it was raining so hard. I felt so bad for the guy. I look at him and I'm like, I can't just turn this man down. So I actually gave him the change. Wow. I figured out another way to get to where I was going. Okay, <laughs> just for this guy. I thought it was the most altruistic thing I ever did. I felt so good about myself. I witnessed, though, watched the man walk across the street, look back at me in front of the Hotel Waverly. Oh, what a fan! I don't know if you guys know what the Hotel oh, Waverly I def- is. I know exactly where that is, yes. The grungiest. Oh, my goodness. Back at me. That's cool. <laughs> walk right in. And I'm like, this coward! Now, if you don't know about the Hotel Waverly, they have a permanent... They used to have permanent rentals uh, on roofs. So all sorts of things go down in there. And a lot of people know what goes down in there. And basically, that money was gone the second he walked in there. So I felt bad that I got fooled. But I actually let this man convince me, like hype me up. Yeah, I can make it. I can walk. I can he, do it. He was, he was definitely watching some Tony Robbins videos before he came to you. You don't know what he's going to do with the change. You can only make assumptions. It's difficult because people, on the one hand, say, yo... I don't want to give them money because they might do drugs or drink, but there's LCBOs down the street. People are flooding in. There's cannabis stores down the street. People are flooding in. If anybody's going to consume things to take the stress off, I don't know how we can fault the guy who's the most on hard times, you know? Yeah, man. Teach a man. I never thought of that. I never thought of it from that. It's a double-edged sword. You know, you think you're helping someone, but are you sometimes, right? That's, yeah. that's hard to, it's hard to I know. I think with, with, with a pen handler, I think there's something about like the immediacy of like giving that like you want to see that person do something with that almost immediately. Like you want, you want, yeah. for some reason you want to see them do good with that money. Cause it's like, it's such a sudden thing, right? It's like, you're walking on the street, it's like, Hey, can I have some money? And you're like, Oh, I don't know. But you know, if I do give you this, I hope that you do something good with it. You just don't, you want to see your, your money spent wisely, right? But are we realistic about what the man can do with his money? Because if he if he yeah. hustles all day, he gets, he gets a coffee, a box yeah. of ten bits, and a dime bag. Like, did I expect him to start a four hundred one k like with the change he collects? Like, what are you getting? <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, I wanted to to touch on our our second topic, and it's around diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Specifically being featured as the face of diversity and inclusion for a company. Uh, We're referring to people of color or from folks from other underrepresented minorities. And this could include being featured in DNI branding material, social media campaigns, diversity reports. It could even mean spearheading internal conversations, et cetera, which is something that's very common amongst many companies in town hall settings. And obviously, one of the goals of this angle is to promote a company's commitment to being a diverse and inclusive employer because now more and more studies are showing that companies that have a diverse work staff are typically more profitable or see a higher bottom line. Obviously, this would lead to attracting a more diverse workforce. People of color also have mixed feelings about this, right? Some might feel like this is a step in the right direction. This could open doors for other diverse talent pools, while others could see it as selling out or it's opportunistic from the company's end. It's hard to also ignore that taking part in in these sorts of initiatives could benefit you in terms of promotions. It could also lead to pay raises somewhere down the line or even just internal visibility within your company. Now, Laurent, I wanted to get your perspective. For our listeners, would you be able to unpack the reasons why someone would be opposed to being the face for DNI for a company? 
even with some of the potential benefits it comes with for someone's career. Right, for sure. Well, this is an interesting question because whenever I see someone featured in like some promotional material for a company, a minority, and you know, they're doing the typical smile, like everything's so great. I always get this feeling of like, this this feels bogus. Yeah, this doesn't feel authentic. Like, are you really that happy? Like, so in my mind, it's like, do I want to be that guy putting on that front? Maybe they are that happy to be working for the organization, but it never registered with me as being authentic. That's one of the main aversions someone would have to, to participate in something like that, because you don't want to be used as a token when there's not actually material things being done to improve the standing of employees in your company. So that's what my apprehension would be. But I would give it some serious thought if the actions corresponded with the gesture. Like if you told me that there were real things happening and you gave me a, a detailed breakdown of what you were doing to actually help minorities and advanced minorities and create a diverse and inclusive uh, workforce. But for me, also on a personal level, I, I can imagine that there are benefits to that, like certain opportunities and what have you. And I'm certainly not opposed to that, but it mm. would be somewhat of a conflict because I don't want to be, I wouldn't want to be that guy just, you know, I, I always see those photos and I'm like, there's no way like you're that happy to work for this mm -hmm. like company. Maybe it's true, but it just feels like us being minorities, us being black men, knowing what it's like, the challenges in, in the workforce and society in general, we know mm -hmm. like the constant like microaggressions and nonsense mm -hmm. you have to deal with on a daily basis. I think generally to answer your question directly, what would be the apprehension is like the fear of being used as like a token when there's not yeah. actually things being done. Yeah. And, and, and I've heard that, I've heard that feedback before where, Client I was talking to a couple of weeks ago, and they were talking about this initiative and how they, without mentioning any names, they are trying to hire more women in an industry that's completely dominated by men. And they reached out to women within their organization to kind of be the face of some of their campaigns. And the pushback they're getting back is, we don't want to be the poster child for this, right? And you can definitely see why they're coming from that. Batter, anything you wanted to add? I agree with Lerone where I feel like it's hard to be the one profiting off of that and like what sort of message that gives off to others, if that matters to you at all. I've had a situation where I once saw a sign in the window saying that, you know, help wanted. I walk in, I can bring a resume, you know, we can have an interview, something like that. They basically hired me on the spot and I was like, are you sure? Like I can go and like bring something with my first and last name on it, <laughs> you know? And they're like, no, no, it's cool. And I come, I come in for work basically the next day, and I realized I was hired basically as a diversity hire. That the the owner of the company had been accused of some <laughs> nefarious things, saying not not too kind things about black people. So I got a job out of it, and I was fine with that. But I was always very weird about you know working for a company that was objectively racist, right? So, so yeah, I think now that I'm older, I look back kind of like that. That's a funny story, but yeah, it definitely calls into question, you know, how these things actually work because it's a very tough situation sometimes to be in. It's not very black or white, right? Yeah. It's yeah. almost like a balancing act between like trying to balance your interests as well as like what you clearly see as not the truth behind the scenes. I don't know. It's it's an uneasy feeling to go into that knowing full well what, what I guess the company in question is trying to do because you know yeah. the, the reality yeah. of it. Yeah. Because yeah, a lot of it's just for optics, right? So it's like, yeah. If you, if you, I feel like it should come with a bag like automatically. If somebody, sh somebody should know that if they're asking you, because like, because they're asking you to go out of your way 
to make the company look good in that case i feel like it should come with a bag right away it should be like hey we want you on this panel we'll give you a bump in your pay this month for that like you know what i mean because it's like clearly they have an interest in making you do it but some people always try to pay you in non-monetary ways like oh yeah this is a great look for you it's like it's not really a great look for me because who knows i might not like it here you know what i mean but sometimes that visibility that you do end up getting as a result of being kind of the poster child does wonders for your career right so while yes there isn't the the immediate return of the the pay raise or the promotion um at some point you do get it and that's kind of like the the differentiating factor question is if you if you took part in it hershey would love would love your perspective on this and then you were offered a promotion for afterwards would you take it? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, I rate you guys for valid contributions. And I think from my perspective, honestly, when I think about it, I'm like, are you dumb? Of course, I'm taking that promotion, you know? Yes, if you want to make me your Allstate guy, like your branding guy, I'm down to do it. I think, uh, Lerone, you mentioned, like, why are they smiling? Or I was talking to a friend about this. If you put me on a poster, if you put me on your company handbook, if you put me on billboards, you're not going to fire me, you know? So me and you are riding together until what wheels fall off. I think that's kind of why people are happy, right? Like you're securing the bag. <laughs> you're securing the bag. Of course I'm going to smile. This came with a promotion, you know? There's many levels to this. So get me. In all seriousness, though, Laurent mentioned like we deal with microaggressions. We deal with all these kind of other stuff, right? It's not the employee that's featured in a DNI campaign's responsibility to make that company an inclusive environment, you know? So I just want to be mindful of that. Like, I don't want, I don't feel like it's fair to place all the pressure on the black employee or an employee of color that I wouldn't go to that person who's featured and be like, what are you doing? Why are you, how are you helping? I know that obviously in a good state or, or in the best case scenario, they're pushing the agenda forward for DNI and then they're doing their part, but I just want to steer away from expecting so much of that employee because yeah. I just think it's not fair. We need exactly. to be kinder to ourselves as like black people and, and, and people of color. That person, you don't know nothing about them. They're just on a poster, right? So yeah. it's unfair, I feel like, to make all these assumptions and then question yeah. their authenticity. And it's like, it's kind of like, that's why I've kind of struggled with the concept in general. And like, I don't know, maybe Ahmed, you can tell me what, how you feel about that. Cause like, I feel like they are putting that person out for bait. Sometimes it's like, hey, now you have this person. To her point, you should care more about what the company's doing, not what an individual is doing for the company. You know what I mean? It's like the company is the one who wants to try to have this is really pushing that initiative so it's like why place the pressure on that one person as if they could wave a magic wand like you should put that pressure same pressure on the company as a whole as opposed to like that person because if they 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 kind of do put that person i feel like sometimes on a pedestal to take the pressure away from themselves that's a great point but i just wanted to say so it's perfectly understandable why people would choose to take the opportunity like i would seriously consider it i, I would with the people who choose to participate in the campaigns the problem becomes when you know and you believe that the person also knows that it's not truly reflective of a inclusive environment. Yeah. But the question I have for you, Lerone, is that person have the burden of morally policing that company? Because if you're talking about, you know, the company does wrong stuff, but you're smiling, da, 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 like there's, there's so many kind of issues and scandals that happen in the private, private and public sector. Right. And these CEOs come back the next day and they're on BNN or they're on news and they're smiling, talk about like, yo, we had a great third quarter, even though there's like scandals galore for that company, right? In terms of a critical eye, I think we should apply it 
generally. Like we should hold others to the same standard that we hold ourselves. So when you see a poster and you hone in on the black guy, you're like, why are you smiling? You know, well, why? What makes you so happy? Yeah, I'm saying point. like, do we focus on the rest of the poster? There's there's probably like six other people. Are we just honing in on that one guy? Like, well, what is it that makes us feel like he owes us something? You know? If yeah, I if I could jump in, if I could jump in, I don't think anybody expects anyone else to do that work on their own. Like you're talking about inherent power disparities, like employer versus employee, right? And you're talking yeah. about corporation versus person, right? I don't think anybody expects the one person to be able to be responsible or or even or even to be responsible for breaking down like systemic barriers. Systemic, by nature, systemic barriers cannot be broken down by just one person. It takes action. It takes mm -hmm. like collective action, right? So sometimes people make business decisions to take the promotion, right? But if a company company is corrupt or if it's rotten at its core, uh, those companies don't last for very long. If you know anything about facts, just, just remember, you took a business decision to take the promotion. Don't be mad when they make the business decision to fire you because of their own corruption or their own like corporate culture, right? So um, that's, that's, that's just all I'm saying, right? I never judge people for what decisions they make, right? I think what I would judge is uh, like the environment or the corporate culture that would make someone do that. Why should someone feel compelled to do that? That's the that's where my critique would come in, right? Rather than being like, you know, this guy, he'll, he's waste, you know, he's on this poster, or whatever, exactly. right? Exactly. You know, so yeah. I think if you, we can scratch the surface or we could dig, dig a little bit deeper. That's all that's, I'm that, saying. That's super dope. Yeah. Let's look at a situation perhaps where you have a, uh, like the Gucci situation where they had their scandal, just to be specific, where they Beautiful had some example. Yeah. Clothing with yeah, some like yeah. monkey lips or whatever happened, right? As in a response to that, what they did was get Gucci Man for their marketing campaign. Yeah, so he's Gucci. not an employee, but he's affiliated with them in some way. He's profiting off of it, right? This was a good business decision for him. So you can understand that because we all would think about it because it's a great opportunity. I would think about it, and I'm not saying that I would make the morally correct decision whatever that is quote unquote right but the, i'm just assessing the thinking of people looking at it and i know how the, the thought process i go through when i look at something like that and i look at gucci in that specific situation i just feel like okay you haven't said anything uh like to materially improve what you just did but you're using this guy as a token to kind of just do damage control publicly so in my mind what the issue becomes is are you being used gucci Gucci man for this purpose and are you comfortable being used for this purpose when this company is clearly causing harm in your own community and I guess the issue that some people have with those token people who show up on ad campaigns smiling or whatnot and the reason they may get some additional scrutiny more so than the actual company because you expect the company to exploit people you expect the company to be profit driven and do whatever is best for the bottom line but also have like maybe have some systemic issues with race relations because it's reflective of society the issue with the individual is like you know you look at them and you're like you know what we go through you know the situation and you're choosing to yeah. take this money you're delegitimizing certain people's issues like people who may have serious issues with the company people of color women minority women who may not have the same opportunities or the same be on the same pay scale as men or what have you and you're delegitimizing their issue and their their um their um, circumstances for a dollar that becomes the issue now i'm not saying that's an easy choice that's never mm -hmm. an easy choice because you mm -hmm. may feel that if you mm -hmm. advance yourself through this campaign 
and you get into these rooms, you're able to change things. But it's still a, it's still a decision you have to make and something you have to to think about. So I'm not faulting anyone that chooses to do it. One day you may see me on a, uh, a magazine smiling for something. So I used to work in advertising a little bit um, for some time, and I remember even my my now like one of somebody in my family who's a bit younger than me got into that industry, and it's is we had a discussion. I remember when he first started his job, and you know obviously a young black guy. Um, I remember w- one of the things that we talked about was DNI, but we talked about how like cookie cutter uh, the ad industry was, and like how like they say a lot about their DNI through who they choose because they always go for a particular type of black person. Everybody that we ran into who worked in the ad industry, I kind of introduced them before he works in it now. It was literally almost, they're like interchangeable people in terms of like their look and their thoughts and like what they do and what they're into. That's not to say that advertising um, isn't diverse, but it's weird because I felt like we always felt like that was a statement of the industry as a whole. And um, the people that I know who do these panels in, in advertising, actually one of them is a partner of mine who I used to work with before. It's like, I don't fault them at all for being on panels because he's like me. He's like a darker skinned black person. You know what I mean? But they were always looking for it. always seemed like what we noticed is like they were looking for a, a, a black person who was like, you know, kind of hip by whatever standard that they had or cool. And it was usually a light skinned black person. And there was only maybe one tops, like two black people working in an entire office every time. Right. We found it pretty odd that they were all almost similar, like no matter what agency you went to. So. Some people I felt like made a big statement about DNI just by who they're choosing to include or who they're choosing to hire. Do you know what I mean? My other friend now that I grew up with, or not I grew up with my former partner, who actually does like DNI stuff, I don't fault him at all because I know that like I know his character, I know him as a person, and I know that he does it from a perspective of like I don't really care what a company is uh interests are. I'm just trying to help whoever might be listening who really wants my help type stuff. So there's some there's some genuine like people literally going on there, not like on it from like a selfless kind of standpoint too, sometimes because they want to just make sure that somebody sees them. Do you know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. it's like yeah. if you can see somebody that looks like you, it's kinda like, oh like, you know what I mean? I can I can probably do something. So I just I just wanted to share that as well. Now I, I wanted to actually shift over to our our main topic. And very timely, given where we are in the hour, towards the end of 2020. And my, oh my, 2020 was a crazy year. And what an interesting year to start a podcast, right? I don't think there was ever a shortage of what to talk about with everything that's happened this year, from racial tensions in the U.S. and it trickling over up here to Canada, COVID-19 and all of the economic, political, and social implications that came with it, the U.S. elections. Kanye making a run for president, which we we talked about in previous episodes ago. And even for us personally, right, every one of us had our lives drastically shifted with no warning. For many of us, we were all probably in the office on March 10th. And then as of March 11th, depending on where you work, between about March 20th or so, we were all mandated to work from home and we were confided to home much more than we could even possibly imagine. Not being able to see our loved ones as much as we'd like and I think a common lesson that we've taken from from all of these experiences is that we shouldn't take life for granted and we should appreciate what we have. Now, before we 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 sign off for today, I would love for every one of you all to offer your input and, you know, maybe share with us and share with the listeners who lessons you've learned in 2020 that you want to carry over into 2021. And Hirsch, I wanted to start over with you. Mine is quite interesting because there are so many things that I've had to think through this year. I think if I would say the two main things 
with the end of commuting, with working from home, I think a lot of people have reflected on what it is that they do and whether or not it drives them in terms of a purposeful purposeful meaning or if they feel like super engaged with what it is that they're doing. So I've seen a lot of people question kind of where they're at in their career because we all assume that people are working jobs that they find some fulfillment in, but a lot of the times that's not the case. Not to say that's personally personal with me, like I enjoy my team, I enjoy the work that I do, but it's just more thinking around your career from a holistic perspective because there's all these shifts, right? So do we need to live in a city like Toronto if because Toronto is a very expensive city and a lot of people are getting priced out, if remote work becomes more and more the norm, now there's like a fundamental shift in the way we think about our careers moving forward. Like, can I go somewhere remote, get a job that's remote, that I maybe have to just come in a couple of days to do meetings? So there's that flexibility that I think of from that perspective. The other thing that I found interesting is I had a kid in 2020. Some, a lot of people have said like, that's not the, it's not the most favorable year, but in, in a lot of ways, it's been a blessing in disguise because I'm able to kind of spend more time at home and, and, and really partake in a more meaningful way, my son's raising and coming up. So it's a blessing. It's a blessing. And one thing that I noticed, it's, it can sound super simple, but one thing that I noticed is that there's a lesson in the way that babies act, right? As funny as it seems, the babies have no patience, right? Bada knows this intimately. Like babies have bring it, bro. Bring it. patience. Talk that talk, man. If, if, they're hung, if they're hungry, cry right on site. There's no like, give me one second. I'm about to finish this meeting. I'm just finishing a call. Like, nah, they're going to cry. If they need their diaper changed, they're going to cry. If they're bored, they're going to cry. If if they feel tired, you see them start rubbing their eyes, they're going to start wailing, right? So at times, of course, we feel all this pressure. We talked in previous episodes about the struggles with keeping guard of your mental health. So at times it could feel mm. overwhelming, right? So you're mm. like, oh man, this is, this is really burdensome. My child just keeps crying, 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 and I have to attend to them and it takes time and all this. But there's actually a key lesson I learned in that, in that babies are the epitome of self-care, right? Mm. So they want all their needs met immediately. And I feel like at some point, we let go of that focus on self-care, right, as adults. Mm. So I found myself skipping meals to get something done. I found myself staying up late hours at night to try to, like, work on certain things that necessarily, like, didn't need to be done that night. I could have continued working on it tomorrow, but, like, I just placed all that pressure on myself to get it done as fast as possible. I found myself just letting go of some of the core aspects of who we are. We come into this world really attuned to our needs and meeting our needs and i think it was a lesson in me and i was like yeah when when 12 o'clock hits doesn't matter how busy my day is i need to take a chunk of time to just do lunch uh, i need to take a chunk of time to do exercise whatever the case may be i have to start prioritizing my own health and well-being all around because that stark difference just illuminated things for me. And it was kind of an epiphany. And I'm like, 
uh, he's he's I'm always taking care of his needs and and he's good for him. He's attuned to his needs, right? But what happened to us? A lot of my friends complain about burnout. A lot of my friends complain about how tough it is to find time to work out, to have lunch, to do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, yeah, things can get busy, right? Things can get busy. I'm not I'm not knocking people for that, but really, truly, truly, if it's important to you, you're gonna find time to take care of yourself. And it's actually imperative for you to do so because it's better for you in the long run. Yeah, very important to, to, to prioritize self-care. Lerone, what about you? Any lessons or any gems you've taken that you, you want to carry over into 2021? There are a few. The main thing 2020 has taught me is to maybe just try to trim as much fat out of my life as possible. So I mean that like both literally and figuratively. This quarantine, I think we all put on some weight that we didn't want to put on. So, but yeah, that's, that's been the main thing for me. Just realizing just sometimes when you kind of just going through the motions in life and you're working and stuff, you have like 15 different tabs on in your mind at all times. So yeah, you're thinking about your bills, you're thinking about your relationships, you're thinking about physical exercise, just different things you have to get done. It's really important. Like what this year did was it really made me hone in on and prioritize on what's important. Like what really matters at all this stuff. There was a moment there this year where it was like, yo, where's the world going? Like what's happening right now? Like are things ever going to be the same? And now things are kind of like, okay, we're going to get some semblance of normalcy. But there was a second there was like, is society as we know it different? Is this going to change things forever? It really helped me just kind of even identify the people that matter the most. So who's, who's really there for you when you need are you worried about people who are not like just pretty much associates and not really impactful in your life in any way and actually maybe taken away from you? Who are the people who kind of would call you and check up on you and you'd have a hour long conversation and exchange notes about your life and whatnot, right? So I think that's been the most profound lesson of this year that I hope to carry over. Batter, what about for you? Love to, to hear your take. Just to echo things other people have said, you know, Having to be home so long, it's been very difficult. I have a two-year-old at home, and so I know Hirsch alluded to some of the things that he has to go through with a, a newborn where, you know, they do cry every single time they need something or want something or think they want something or even they just feel like it, right? Hirsch, let it out, man. Let Facts, out the, bro. Facts, bro. Man, I, have to... <laughs> I, bro. I was there. It's hard, man. With a two-year-old, and Herschel realizes when you get here, is they get bored really quick. You know, they need to be stimulated, and you can't just switch the TV on cartoons and Peppa Pig or whoever it is. Teach them how to be a, a kid in this world. You know, like you want them to get out. You want them to experience the world, but you know, the world is closed right now. It's on pause. So it's it's been a very difficult challenge for us to keep her stimulated and keep her kind of busy while we're working, right? So we've noticed that she has learned a lot from just like reading books or just observing people when we go for walks or just observing us when we when we work, right? And I guess I didn't give them enough credit, give kids enough credit that they just absorb a lot, right? And so I was really worried about her development, but there are a lot of things that she's been doing lately that I'm like, where did you learn this? I didn't teach you, I didn't teach you this. The thing I, I feel like I got to carry into the next year is just not to worry so much and, you know, give, give them the benefit of the doubt sometimes. I, I'm blessed to have a support system that will allow me to maybe worry a little bit less, right? You're totally right, Batter. It's, uh, your support system is, is super key for you at this moment because as much as it, as it is a challenge for us, our wives are the ones taking the brunt of it. 
we have to be honest, you know, with the situation. So all the kids that are either born um, this year or are growing up this year are experiencing something special, like where their parents can, can spend more time than they usually would, right? So creating that additional bond has been a silver lining, I think. For our listeners that are, are fathers, Hirsch and, and Batter are starting a support group for fathers, including best practices and, and venting sessions. So stay I wish, bro, I wish. I don't have time. I, I Batter, and I think uh, if you want to take that on, bro, let me know, but I just don't have the time. For me, I would say 2020, first of all, I can't believe it's over. It, it, it did seem like a very long stretch at times. It felt very unbearable at times. But I would say um, just for me in terms of like the days looking a lot similar and I'm not a person that's a homebody at all. Like it's very, very difficult for me to stay home. Um, but I would say the one thing that I try to is try to establish some sense of routine. I did fall off a little bit right now, but like there was a point where uh, me and my neighbor, we would drive like 45 minutes like out of the city, like into Vaughn just to go to the gym like every morning. And that was like a very good routine for me. It became very productive at that time. But I think there was a there's also a point in time where a lot of the days started to look the same. So that's just my big takeaway. I feel like in a time like this, if you're a person who, like for me, I never did any of my work at home. Home was always just to unwind, you know what I mean, and do whatever. So um, I never liked doing work at home. I don't, even if I was by myself, I'd like to go to like Starbucks or something just to get into that mode where it's like I can I can turn my brain on and be like, okay, like I'm going to do work. But when I come home, I'm not doing work or as much work, right? But I think for me, just uh, trying to find a routine and trying to stick to it. I know it's something super basic and super simple. And maybe some people don't think it even deserves to be on that list. But for me, I feel like that's something that's like just very important. As far as my perspective, just to build off of what Khalif was saying, I think earlier on when the lockdown had first begun, at that point, I was I was I was in the field. I was doing frontline work. I was working security and uh, just that shift from that time where no one was really on the street. Our norm started to like change before my very eyes, like everyone had to wear masks. People had to distance. There was only a certain amount of people allowed in certain spaces. You know, the, the kind of visceral reaction you get when somebody coughs near you now. That wasn't something that was uh, a big deal just a year ago. But, you know, uh, now we're at the end of this year. And I've made the shift from being a frontline worker to someone who's working remotely from home and just building off what you were saying earlier. Um, just that shift of trying to designate when is a good time to work and when is a good time not to work, especially um, when you have your own hours and you're working from home was something that was very interesting for me to like adapt to. This year, if anything, has taught me discipline, just trying to find like a good balance between bettering yourself with all this time that you have and getting the adequate rest you need because sometimes with all the noise and that can come with our lives sometimes you don't you know pause to look around and see what's uh important it's been a long time since i've had my family around me constantly it, it can be a circus sometimes but i think it's uh it's much more appreciated than uh than just being plugged away into your own universe or your own workloads or your own situation so i think uh yeah, definitely not take yes, sir. for granted. I'm, I'm not assuming too much, but I think this applies to all of us with even the podcast, right? I think one thing I definitely learned this year that um hoping to carry over into next year is to stop procrastinating and delaying on goals. I think some a lot of you mentioned the same things. Yes. Uh, the, the same thing, not procrastinating on goals anymore because like I think we're all in our super early 30s. Hassan, I know you're not yet. Don't rub it in. <laughs> Oh, we're not super I thought I was probably 18 years old. <laughs> <laughs> For the way he sounds. When I think, like this year, when I thought back, I was like, 
there are some goals that I, I've been putting off. And when I think back, it's like over 10 years now because you keep saying, okay, I'll do this next year. I'll do this tomorrow. And the time adds up. And pretty soon, like you're in your 30s and it's like, when are you going to do this? And thinking about it, it's like, why not create a podcast? We all have edifying, great content to share. Why not share with the world? Why not try to be the best versions of ourselves and, and produce this content and stuff? So I think that was one of the main lessons is just making the most use of, of your time because mm. nothing's really guaranteed. Yeah, and Lerone, you bring up a really good point, and you're right. Like, I think we tend to overestimate the amount of time that we have, right? Where, to your point, like, you had a goal when you were 20, you kept saying next year, and then before you know it, you're now in your early 30s, and it's like, shoot, where the heck has the time gone? Yeah, this 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 podcast, I'll, I'll preface in saying it has been, like, kind of my silver lining, and I think it's, for me, kind of just closing off in terms of my lesson that I want to carry on into 2021, and it wasn't something that was life-changing or rocket science but a point that was just more amplified with everything in the pandemic and it's taking small steps to whatever you set your mind to versus big leaps i think we live in a society where we expect to to make a lot of noise when it comes to something versus realizing that there's small steps that you're supposed to take every single day that you're consistent with that end up leading to that big thing right and 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 if more that's what we did to some extent to some degree with this podcast was where we took small steps to where we are today so definitely a theme that i want to carry with me into 2021 and we're going to end it there gentlemen thank you all for your time today thank you for your perspectives and for our listeners thank you all for tuning into today's episode as always we hope you you found this insightful and we would always love your feedback on how we can make this a better learning experience or listening experience for you so please follow if you haven't already at the say word podcast we hope that you found this insightful we hope it made you think and we look forward to having you join us for our next episode be safe everyone Bye.